0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land, you are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and really interested in speaking with our guest today, uh, we're going to talk about why your safety nets aren't keeping you safe at all. And what does it mean to always be liked? So I'm really intrigued to talk to our guest today because I immediately thought of Ray Romano and everybody loves Raymond and we want everyone to like us, right? Doesn't that keep us in our safety net and we have our security blanket like Linus from Charlie Brown? That's not the way to go. Well, this expert's going to put us on the right track. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Joffrey McClung to the podcast. Welcome, Joffrey.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, Delighted to be with you.
0: Absolutely, yes. Thanks for making it. And so, yeah, the, I, I wanted to, I was excited in speaking with you because the, you're always taught, well, we were taught in school that you should have a safety net. And so as a child, you're taught that. But as an adult, there are many people that feel like they haven't reached their potential or life may have passed them by because they were playing it safe their whole life. And so it sounds like you have not been playing by those rules at all.
1: (laughs) No, I haven't. I may have tried at one point, but I don't do it very well. Let's put it that way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So let's back up. Let's, Let's start how you broke through the reins of the Matrix and became the powerhouse that you are today.
1: Well, I'm not sure Powerhouse would be quite appropriate, but I'll take it since you said it. Uh, I started out way back in the day in the theater world back in New York. I, I moved to New York way back when. Did theater, did acting, then added producing. I, I love producing. I love putting on a show in a sense. So did that, did some off-Broadway, did lots on off-Broadway off as well. And then I had um, A Dark Night of the Soul when I left a relationship. Uh, he and I had been together, I don't know, seven, eight years and I had a dark night of the soul and began my spiritual journey, so to speak. And um, This is in the mid-80s. This is how old I am. I hate to, I hate to admit it, but that's how old I am I in the mid-80s. And I started, um, I'd always been interested in spirituality and metaphysics and whatnot, but I really went full force mid-80s and began to explore different aspects of metaphysics and spirituality and whatnot and kept doing my theater and my soap opera work and my commercial work. And then I, uh, my father had a heart attack. And I moved back to Texas for about four years to help run run his publishing business while he was recuperating. And I was sort of getting my feet back on the ground after that dark night of the soul. And I began to make short films because that was my next step. Theater was fine, but, you know, I wasn't going to go any further. So I started doing short films. And so I was still in the same area, but still doing my inner homework, my spirituality work, my metaphysic work, exploring my inner wounds, uh, just anything and everything, everything seminar there was I attended I did it all moved back to New York got a television job as a producer and did that for 15 years and he actually ended up using that as a way to make my first feature film it was such a good job I made commissions on it so I was able to take three months to make a feature film so I thought life was going pretty good I got to mm-hmm. tell you I thought Okay, I did my homework. When I went back to Texas those four years, I'm feeling better. I'm getting more money than I've ever made. I'm doing a job I love. I'm doing a feature film. Life's going my way finally. And then I get the call that my mother has cancer. Now, she lived alone in Texas. Obviously, I was not going to let her be alone. So I decided to come back to Texas. It was temporary to begin with, but it ended up being two years while she was um, battling her stage four cancer and uh i ended up staying here because my job sort of was ending i was traveling back and forth but uh i knew it was sort of over if that makes any sense Amos, because you sort of know when your job's done it's like i'd done everything i needed to do in that job and people were moving to social media more and more so i was doing less television and for me the whole point was to do television that was the fun part, part of it so i ended up staying in texas and helping my mother pass on and that sent me into a tither, I must say. I grieved that immensely. And finished during that period, I ended up finishing my self-love homework, which I'd been doing throughout the years, thinking, oh, I, I'm finished. You always, that's the thing with metaphysics and spirituality. You hit a level and you think, I'm done. I'm finished. I've achieved the goal. And then something yes. comes in your life and you realize, oh, that was just a certain level. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a new level I've got to hit now. And that's what hit me during that grief period with my mother. I thought, okay, well, I'm down here and I'm in grief. I'm going to finish my self-love work that I thought I'd finished when I moved back to New York. Obviously, there's some stuff still in there. So I ended up finishing my self-love work and then I found out my best friend had cancer. The universe has a way to do it. They give you so much stuff. And I'm telling you, it's something. <laughs> now she had channeled since the mid 80s. She and I were best friends in New York and in college and we've been best friends forever. So we decided we'd go through this together and I would keep doing our homework. She decided she was gonna create a miracle. She had stage four breast cancer but she was gonna create a miracle. So she was gonna go with that vein. So we did our homework and did all this for about three to four years. And then her partner ended up dying suddenly on her. And uh, she was suddenly alone in her apartment in L- in L.A. And uh, I was finally coming out of my grief with my mother and thinking, i got to do something. i got to get my juices going and be creative again. What do I do? And I was starting to try to write scripts or whatnot, but that seemed so silly to me after everything I had gone through with my mother and with my best friend, and my aunt and uncle also died during this period. And I helped my aunt. So, I mean, there was a lot going on, I got to tell you. The universe sure. decided they would throw me eight years of hell. Let me put it that way, eight years of hell, and uh, put me on a 180 degree turnaround. So, um, I decided to bring my friend back to Texas. Her father lived about an hour away from me. And I said, let's go. You'll go to your father's if it's not good. There have been some issues. She wasn't sure how well it was going to be. I promised her I'd bring her to my house if it wasn't. But I knew she needed to start out there, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So I brought her to Texas and got her with her father. And she ended up having four months with her father. And they were the best months of her life. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I insisted she went and was with her father because she felt love she had been working on self-love and having a little more difficulty with it than i had had and she was able in the end to open up to her self-love and allow to be loved allow herself to feel love come in so during that period while she was dying there's four months that she was in texas i began writing the first book i wrote which was on spirituality which was how learning to say goodbye taught me how to live which was really a story about my friend rob and I journey through her stage four cancer and it was really a journal for me to get my juices flowing so that i could you know be creative and create a new life for myself i didn't know that this was going to be the turn i was going to be making i finished the book i thought okay i've done that and i you know i grieved rob of course and about four months later i read the book again and said you know what i wrote the book wrong and i said what do you mean by that and i realized i wrote it for somebody well on their way to sort toward self-love and a book to remind you how to stay out of fear when you're dealing with people dying and I said but how do you help people who don't know how to what self-love is or what self-discovery is. How, how are you going to help them? And I thought, I wrote the book backwards. I should have written this book. So then I wrote the Heart of the Matter book. And that's where safety nets come in. I know it, I took a long way around <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I love it. No, it's fine. I took you through my whole life. I don't know why I did that, but I just would have gone <laughs> on a roll there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but the second book is where safety nets gets involved, and in it's dealing with self-love. And when you're dealing with self-love, you have to look back at your emotions uh, from your wounds and your inner orphans and what they caused you to do, bringing your behavior out of the shadows and into the light. Part of that behavior is looking at your safety nets. Now we're back where you started, and I apologize for that circle.
0: No, I, I love circles, and I talk in circles, so it's, I can follow along smoothly. It was perfect. Um, okay, good. And it, it it raises so many questions, it does. It, and you'll see that the hour usually flies by because of that. But Good. I mean, you, you you had so many morsels in there. I'm gonna try to chew off bite by bite, bite, and so okay. I like I like to start with liquid courage, and that usually started in college where. If someone's scared to or afraid to talk to the, let's just say guys and girls, a guy is afraid to speak to a girl that he really likes, and then he imbibes, so he takes this liquid courage. And then once he has that courage, then he can talk to that person. But the next day, he just feels miserable, like, oh, my goodness, I had too much to drink. What was I thinking? And the reason why I brought that up is, uh, in my understanding, in pre- carnate pre-incarnation before we come to the birth canal and live with our family and such we don't have the um, the pressures or the the weight of third dimension so it's kind of like that liquid courage like oh yeah give me this give me that give me this and then when we're born we're like holy moly did I sign up for my much on the
1: plate yeah (laughs) (laughs) my friend and I would yell about that who did we really say we wanted all of this stuff on this plate for this life? And the answer is yes, we did. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes, indeed. So looking oh, yeah, back when did. you said the the eight years of hell, I mean, knowing that you were going in at that first day, you didn't think it would take eight years. But looking back, you probably that's where you were able to share your whole story with me and get the proper perspective.
1: Oh, yeah. If I, 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 there is a gift in the universe not letting us know what's coming. There mm-hmm. is a gift in that because if I had known that, I probably, I, maybe I wouldn't have moved home. Maybe I would have said, I'll come visit you every few weeks. I'll get on the plane and come visit you. If I had known that I was going to be end up being stuck here, helping her die, then having my aunt and uncle die, and then having my best friend, starting myself in Texas, a place I did not expect to be in, frankly, ever again, and mm-hmm. going through hell inwardly of healing those final wounds, I would have said, hell no. nobody wants to do that that doesn't sound fun but when you're in it and you do, you're used to doing your homework, and you're, you've got this stuff on your plate. What do you do? You do your homework. So I did my homework. Woke up eight years later and went, oh, my God. <laughs> and I was glad I woke up because those eight years were hellacious, and they were hard, and they were full of grief. Grief for my mother and grief for myself, my inner wounds. Grief for my aunt and uncle. Grief for my friend. Grief for my New York life. There was grief on every level that I had to deal with. But I look back, and I think, you know, I would not – I would not be where I am today if I hadn't gone through those eight years. I would not have written right. these two metaphysical spiritual books. I would have mm-hmm. kept doing my inner work. I would have had friends that I shared this work with, but I would have kept it very private because, to mm-hmm. me, that's kind of a private work. I would not right. have put myself out there. But once I went through this, I thought, well, you got no job <laughs> in New York. <laughs> you got to do something. And I thought, well, you know, at least this is creative. It's writing. I'll try it. And I ended up loving it. I actually ended up loving it, I have to be honest. So sometimes courage comes when you least expect it in ways you did not anticipate.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, let's let's use the school analogy because you kept saying that you're doing your homework. And so usually when we study and we do our homework, it's because in school we're going to get tested on what we learned.
1: Well, I kind of think we are te- – I won't say testing. I don't like to use the word tested. I used to, but I've kind of grown out of that because it makes you feel like somebody's watching us, and we've got to okay. be tested to move forward. So I, I prefer to say it's sort of doing my homework. Is like um, I used to work with a channel. I met her back in the 90s, and I worked with her really up until recently. But every three months I'd have a session with her, an hour session, say what I was going through, this, how I'm doing it, and she'd give me homework she goes okay here's you know try this go into your meditation and look at it this way see what you can she would never tell me the answers would say see what you find out when you look at it from this perspective in your meditation work so i would do that and get new answers and work with it for three months so homework was always a way to go inward and to rediscover parts of yourself people love spirituality they love metaphysics but when you say self-discovery a lot of people don't know how to do that and self-discovery is work it takes work to to really get to know yourself, it really right. does. So homework is something you got to do constantly if you want to be wide awake. And wide awake takes takes a lot of work and takes a lot of uh, patience, and takes mm-hmm. a lot of compassion for yourself too. Because you can't do it all in one step. You got to do it in, in levels. Again, everything's done in levels. Right. You get know, a new level, you'll feel good. Then something will come up, and you realize, know, oh. Well, there's still some stuff. I need to go deeper, a deeper level. And you go deeper in that level. You do some more homework. You get some more compassion, understanding, forgiveness, some understanding, some self-discovery, and you're able to let go of things. Homework is real important to everybody. <laughs> if you want to grow, if you want to grow, if you don't want to grow, you don't need to do homework. And not everybody needs to. But if you want to grow, you've got to do homework. You've got to pay attention to what you're feeling and what you're thinking.
0: Let me ask you this, because... So you had just mentioned, and I did kind of hint at it, that when we're born, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, right? So we have this unknown. However, when we're knocking on the door of transition, like you, your friend that had four months, she had the best four months of her life. Is it because you have that timeline where you think, it, or you know that it may end, that you'll kind of, super, your homework and everything else goes to the forefront, whereas before, We have the grace to kind of fumble around and then ultimately come to that to that place
1: well that's that's a good question i have to give you that one um i would say having been around some people who so many people who've died recently around me that i have to say some are able to meet it gracefully and some are not Um, Robin was again she did homework and her and when she moved here I said her only homework now I never said she was going to die from it she still wanted that miracle so that's the way we were going to play it you know she gets to choose how she wants to you know deal with her her diagnosis so to speak but I said your only goal when you come to Texas is self-love you need to let love in that is your goal period everything else you've been working on for the years throw it away you don't need it now your goal is to let love in. So she used that focus for months to focus on letting love in, and it took took time, but she was able to do that and and felt love from her father and from me and from her brothers. So it was really quite magnificent. My aunt was slightly different. She had a response when I went and visited her before she died, and she had um, MD. So she, her body was horribly twisted, which was shocking to me. Again, something I had not anticipated, but obviously yeah. needed to go through. Um, mm-hmm. She had regrets. She was, she was encompassed with regrets and the mistakes she thought she had made. Now, I just told her that, you know, it, you, I did the whole thing about that there are no mistakes. That you came here to learn, you'll get another chance. Don't worry about it. You'll do it the next time. You learned what you could this time. And you did the best you could with what you knew at the time. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't be mad at a one year old for not walking properly. You'd pick them up and say, try it again. Same thing with the mistakes you think you made. So mm-hmm. each person sort of handles it differently. But as far as when we come in, I want to go back to that part. You say when we come in, okay. we don't know what we're. We do kind of know what's going to happen. We forget when we come in, though. So i have right. believe that again that's a personal belief everybody has their own belief system but i believe we do know what we're setting ourselves up for the greatest opportunities we're setting ourselves up for i think my greatest opportunity was for self-love to get to that level of self-love but i knew i was to do that i was going to have to go through eight years of hell to get there and my first dark night of the soul and some other things and i was willing to do that or i could come here Decide this is too hard, I don't want to do it this life, and shut myself off and not do it. That's where your right. choices come in. But I think we do know our greatest choices are we have this chance to learn this, this particular lesson, this particular gift, and we have the chance to do it. And sometimes we do it, sometimes we decide, yeah, I put too much on my plate, I'm not doing it this time. Right. Well, I met many people at seminars who do that. They'll go to seminar after seminar, seminar, but not really do any homework to change anything. And I think, okay, well, they're not going to do it this life, and that's okay. They're just, which, you know, they're going to do their thing, and they'll do it next life. That's sort of how which, I see it.
0: Which leads me to my next question, which okay. is since you you've been <laughs> since you've been a part of Hay House, I had. Uh, gone to Toronto for one of those uh, what is it um, you can do it conferences
1: oh and yeah so
0: yeah. and oh, what's her name there i think it was during virtue at the time since it's she's totally different today but she was channeling at this this time i think it was during virtue and Uh, So people, you know, we're all in the audience and we're listening to her and she's talking about past lives and channeling and such. And so she goes around. I don't think it was during Virtue now that I mention it. But uh, who else was it? Uh, Anyway, the the point of the story is she was channeling and so you're – or she was a medium. And so as you go around the room, you know, you're waiting to hear from a deceased one or a loved one or what have you. And some were like, love, love, love. And then there were others that were like – well you know I don't really believe this even though I know I'm dead they were kind of still stuck in the third dimension so I was just wondering with uh, your relationships with those that were so close to you that transition uh, were you able to still have relationships and, and did they morph in any way
1: I would say yes I did Mine's slightly different I don't channel or medium but through my meditations I was able to connect with my mother Okay. Uh, in a meditative state. I mean just it, to me. I think we can all do that Obviously we all have that talent and just going to meditative state and there were some questions. I had in my self-loving work There was a question I had because in our family um, There was some tension uh, within the family. There was some jealousy issues with my sibling uh, extreme jealousy uh, Physically and emotionally and spiritually and mentally uh, Violent towards us um, and I couldn't quite forgive my mother for letting it That happened to me letting her allow this person do this to me my entire life and i i was having trouble getting to that compassionate understanding and letting that go and i went into meditation called my mother in and i said why didn't you protect me from my sibling and she said i did try to protect you i thought if i kept the peace then you'd be safe and that just triggered i mean i just my heart just opened wide open The way I heard it, the way I... Again, I I didn't really hear it. It just drops into your head like a download. But I went, of course. That's what my mother always wanted peace because she thought if there was peace, I would be safe. Because the sibling attacked me and attacked my mother and other people. And I was like, oh. And I was able to forgive my mother. I mean, I loved my mother, of course. But with anybody in your life, you have love and you also have some pissed off feelings about them as well. And that little pissed off, I couldn't let go of. But I was able to let go of it when I... Uh, when she passed and i called her in so i in my book i talk about calling people in and talking to them dialoguing with them in your meditation again i'm not a medium or a channel that's a different energy but i think you can get what you need in a meditative state whether it's one sentence one word one look one touch what you need for your next step i do believe you can get that
0: right which kind of goes back to the beginning of safety net and so you're talking about when you have a safety net, you're really trying to control a situation that on the, in the bigger picture, uh, if you try to control it, you may miss the message that's coming through.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, safety nets really, truth of the matter is, they, they're not about who you are, but rather how you see the world and what you have decided you must do to be safe and to feel loved. Safety mm-hmm. nets, are, they buffer you from your outer world and your inner world of pain, uh, Taking that's your go-to behaviors. They're they're born out of a falsehood that you must protect yourself from a dangerous and unpredictable world because you're unlovable, unloving, unloved, and that you're not good enough those different facets of self-love, those different um, facets of self-love that you're, you do not have, therefore you need your safety nets to feel safe and you feel loved. Safety nets give you a false sense of security, but it's really your ego's way to make you feel slightly better. There's such as judgment is a safety net. Control is a safety net. Needing to be right, um, self-righteousness, Pleasing everybody is a safety net They're ways to keep you to feel safe and to give you a false sense that you are loved Because you're looking for love outside of yourself versus finding it within yourself That's what I mean by safety nets if that makes any sense
0: No, it does. It's just that uh, it, just for a conversation for the for the audience You know, it starts out that way when you're a child that, especially today with, with the news of paying hundreds of thousands of dollars so your kids can get into college.
1: <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> that sends a lot of mixed messages to that child, a lot of, mix, a lot of mixed messages. And I'm sorry for the adults, too, that they're so shut off from themselves that they don't trust the world enough and their place in the world and their sense of self-love that they're pricing that on to their kids, frankly is what they're doing, but that's a whole other conversation. But that's what they're doing. They're passing on their own lack of self-love, their own sense of knowing that they're safe in this universe, that they have everything they need for their journey before them, and so do their kids.
0: So are you saying that, are you saying, Jeffrey, that before you incarnate, you may choose parents that look that way so that you can bring that out of yourself and through yourself they would learn through you?
1: Yes, you got it exactly right. Couldn't have said it more beautifully. I have to give you kudos <laughs> on that one. You said it beautifully. That's exactly right. You choose your parents, you choose your siblings. I chose my sibling who, who beat the hell out of me, frankly, my entire life. I chose mm-hmm. that sibling to do that so I could go on that journey of losing my lack of self-love and finding my way back to it. It's a, In a way, Life is really a game. We all think it's about lessons, but really it's a game. It's a game of consciousness. Okay, I'm going to go down here. I'm going to see if I can remember self-love. Okay, how do I set that up? I'm going to forget self-love. That's how I'm going to set it up and see if I can find my way back to self-love. Because on the other side, we already know all this stuff. Mm-hmm. On the other side, we know this stuff in our higher self level, we have all this stuff. But playing this game of consciousness, going, okay, on this particular planet at this time, I'm going to come down here and I'm going to see if I can find my way back to self-love. I'm going to have somebody beat the hell out of beat me to death with it, so that I would have to find my way back to it, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense to you. So, yeah, I think we come in choosing our parents. Choosing our parents that are going to lie for us to get into college so that we can wake up and go, She's just saying a lot about self-love and my place in the world. And that I don't have enough. I was not given everything I needed for my journey is what they're sending that message to the, those kids, unfortunately. And, of course, unfortunately, you're having adults who are still stuck with their inner uh, orphan wounds, raising kids, helping them keep their inner orphan wounds going as well. It's a circle. It's a vicious circle that goes on until somebody breaks it.
0: Yeah. Well, let's stay there with the circle, and then we could talk about breaking it for a second. So, one thing that was really difficult for me in in college, in undergrad, was uh, a, a professor, and they were talking about you really shouldn't get married until you're 28 because you don't even know yourself. And you're, you need to discover your self-love and get out in the world before you settle down. And that was a challenge at the time. I mean, it makes sense now. But the other side of that is when you talk about uh, your safety net, what have you, um, it seems like it's written, pre-written for you to you know go to school, go to college, get the, the, the two houses, I mean, the house, the picket fence, the two kids. And then when you're 35, 40, you have that dark night of the soul that you talked about earlier.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much how it's – that's how we're told it's supposed to play out. My dark mm-hmm. night and soul hit me when I was 28. So, frankly, mine hit oh. a little earlier than everybody
0: <laughs> friend, You're an overachiever.
1: A <laughs> I am an overachiever. I knew I needed to get started on my metaphysic work, so I thought at 28 is when I'll have my dark night and soul. Now I'll have another one when I hit 40. Why not? Uh, <laughs> but um, – yeah, that's how we're told it's supposed to be played. That you do this, you have your kids, and then when you hit forty, forty-five, then you have your midlife crisis, and then you start to look at your life and decide what you, you know, you look inward or something like that. But I think that's changing, especially for the younger younger people. I think people are going on that journey of self-discovery much earlier now. With all the look, when I started it, I had to go to the occult section to get the books I needed to read. Right. My, the first book I read in nineteen eighty three, four with Seth Speaks. It was in the occult section. Mm-hmm. There was no new age section. There was no spirituality section. It was the occult section. And this is in New York City, so it's not like I'm doing it in Texas. This is right. in the New York City, Coliseum Bookstore. It was the occult section. I got my Seth Speaks book. It blew my mind. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. We create our own <laughs> reality? Oh, my Lord. And it made sense to me because everything else wasn't making sense. I was going through a dark night. I needed some answers. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's uh, back to your question. Uh, you said earlier, I just went blank on you. I'm sorry.
0: What did you say? Oh.
1: Something, you, you spurred something in me.
0: Oh, just that timeline oh, about,
1: you the know, timeline, when things happen. The timeline. Right. I, I think the timeline, we have to throw it out. First of all, we're all going to be living a lot longer. So that timeline's got to go because I didn't even get my 15-year my job that I made great money on and got my, thank God, some pension money on when I left it until I was 41. Mm. Before that, I did theater, I did soap operas, I did commercials. I had day jobs in between my, my acting work. Uh, pe- other people switched jobs. Life's a completely different than that, that route that you get married at and that, lots of people still do that and i'm in texas and everybody does seem to do that down here and maybe in atlanta it's the same i don't know but um i i think we got to throw all of that out the window and live yeah. the way you want to live so if you if you want to get married when you're 23 go ahead i think you know good go ahead you may be divorced but you know what it's probably part of your journey Mm-hmm. you know yeah it's we probably had a part of your journey death.
0: We had a guest on recently that was talking about Margaret Mead and the fact that she says that you you get married three times in your life. It may be with that one person or it may be, you know, three different people.
1: That makes sense. I'm, see, I like her a lot. <laughs> I like her a lot. <laughs> I like the people you're mentioning I <laughs> I like well, you're a lot. Well, you're my friend
0: because you read Seth, uh, Seth Speak, so you already get a gold star, star right off the bat.
1: <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, i read all the Seth Speaks. I've read all the I read, I've read every book I think. There. I quit reading recently because I thought, okay, I'm writing. I've got to write not read other people because I don't want to put their stuff in my book. Right. <laughs> I've got their stuff, so I can't read right now. But uh, she's right. And, it's, and it's, it's true in the sense we do get married three times, whether it's actually a marriage or not. Mm-hmm. I think you, I, I'm on my third incarnation in this lifetime. My first Mm -hmm. incarnation was when I moved to New York. I mean, it was childhood to New York. Then I had my dark night of soul. and I had my second incarnation when I moved back to New York, did my 15-year TV job. And then I'm now in my third incarnation where I'm becoming this spiritual metaphysical writer. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's my third life. And they're completely different. Mm -hmm. And they're all creative. So, I mean, obviously, you stick with certain areas within your life. I, I think I'm always being a creative area. But... You have three different lives. Those are three different marriages for me, in a way.
0: Absolutely. So I think she's
1: right. You do Absolutely. have three different marriages. You do have three different lifetimes. If you're lucky, you get to have three different lifetimes, I think. That means you're growing. Right. Yes. Well, now, next time, I may take a break, and not do that three different lifetimes. I may take an easy lifetime next time.
0: <laughs> oh, well, since you're a Seth fan, I, I want to ask you about Oversoul 7. And so, Oh, yes. And that one I there were timelines right there were timelines where you're jumping in and out to your different incarnations to bring that message back so was that more so just for reading or have you ventured into that, that arena? I've
1: done that work in the beginning yeah back in, in my early days in the metaphysics world I did a lot of that inner work of um, of course past life work we all know that but there were mm-hmm. times where I would connect to another life of course they're all life's all happening at the same time so i would tap into a life that i needed to to tap into at that moment to understand the problem i was having now Mm -hmm. now i don't do that as much anymore because once you've done that enough it's like okay i've got this life let me focus on this now i did past life work to to heal some wounds that were that were bleeding through in this life that were still playing out that's slightly different than the oversoul seven which is wonderful three wonderful books and yes. somebody bought the movie rights, and, and they bought them back in um, the early nineties, and they've never put them out there. And I'm thinking, well, that's ridiculous. Because I'm going to write the damn script and put it out there myself. It's yes, so good. They're all so wonderful. They're different lifetimes. They cross over in the dream life. I used to do a lot of dream work in my life. Um, a lot of my messages come in my dreams i didn't do the med- i didn't do the channeling work or the medium work but a lot of my work is done in dreams and i mean vivid dreams i have vivid dreams and uh, I used to uh, have different lifetimes sort of appear in my dreams, cross over and sort of I would suddenly be them for a little bit and get some answers. So I think there's a lot of stuff going on that we just need to pay. If you're interested, now if you're not, fine, but if you're interested, if you just put put it out there, you want to learn more about yourself, especially like when you're sleeping, put it out there. Those things will come to you in your dreams.
0: Have you ever played the Colleen game?
1: choline i don't think so
0: yeah the supplement, Tell me supplement what it is. Choline. sure it's just a supplement it's a supplement you oh. can get over the counter at the store and so oh, okay. there's a there's a ton of videos about choline and picking it before you go to sleep because it, it enhances your lucid dreaming
1: oh okay well i'm pretty good with lucid dreaming anyway i don't need much help with that frankly there are times i don't need to be dreaming <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but that's a good thing if you're into that the lucid dreaming can be quite Uh, I remember when I was healing some wounds I did some lucid dreaming and was able to confront the zombies in my dreams that were my past lives you know not past life but past wounds and I was able Mm -hmm. to turn it around within the dream but I still had to do the homework when I came out of the dream unfortunately that's the problem you still have to do your homework people it's fun to do lucid dreaming you can change some things you can see your own power but the bottom line is we still have to do our, our own homework that's the bottom line I hate to tell you that but at least from my experience you got to do your inner homework got to get in there and do
0: you, that i'm glad you said that because uh just the you know after seth it was you know abraham and and they were saying that we fought so hard just to get in these bodies you know and so when you or people are in the arena of lucid dreaming and such it's like oh, i don't want to get out of that mode i don't want to get out of the bed and it's like no, that's why we came here.
1: <laughs> no, they're right. They're right. Uh, Abraham, I used to listen to him, believe it or on, on cassette tapes.
0: Oh, wow. He okay. used to yeah. come out
1: on cassette tapes. That's how old I am. <laughs> These were. I think this was 1990, 1988, 89, 90, something. They were little cassette tapes that were being passed around to all of us, um, that were uh, being uh, passed around to everybody. This is before he became real, real big. Um, right where it just really was like the, again the cult section of us that were doing all this work <laughs> but uh yeah i love abraham but he's right we're in this body for a reason that's why you start out doing metaphysics you do the, the the um the different lifetimes you do the lucid dreaming i used to do some astral traveling i only did it a few times but i was able to do a little bit of it and i thought it was mm. so cool you do all those kind of fun metaphysics things and you've still got to come back and do your life that's the thing you think okay how is this really changing my life now the meditation work the inner work the self-discovery work uh, the inner wound work the inner orphan work all that's vital uh, to changing to to changing your life in the present, but I think we all start the metaphysic work the same way, doing the fun stuff, <laughs> the <laughs> traveling, the past lives, the lucid dreaming, the, uh, all the different var the channeling, the mediumship. We all do those different things, unless they happen to be our particular path. We end up waking up and going, "Is this really changing my life? It's fun, but I need to I need to actually want to change some things in my life." And then you got to get down and do your homework. That's the bottom line, people you got to do some homework and and it's fun when you do it though when you start doing your self discovery work it's really quite quite interesting mhm
0: i I have a question about the eighties in the eighties we had the the cosmic convergence in nineteen eighty seven where felt uh-huh, like, convergence
1: that's,
0: yeah the, thank you and now, you know thirty years later, do you see a difference between the environment? back in the 80s versus today
1: oh yes now it's subtle again you're not going to see every everything's subtle but it's compl- look the fact I was going to the occult section and now there's new age sections that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a difference that's showing you there's a difference going on here that took 30 years to grow for us coming out of the occult section or going to mediums or channels and doing these little seminars just only you hear it you know you got oprah talking about it you got everybody talking about meditation on tv you watch the day show and they have a meditation expert on that that's a huge difference that took 30 years to become part of everyday conversation people are doing yoga that when I started yoga, now they were doing it in New York, but I mean, in the 90s we were doing some yoga in New York, but it was like, you know, pockets of us in New York City were doing it. Now it's everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. I kind of quit doing it. I started doing some other things because suddenly I thought, Why well, all these bodies. These soccer moms, this isn't much fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but because um, I thought, soccer moms doing yoga, I don't know. Um, so I think there's been a big difference. And that the differences are subtle, and the difference Mm -hmm. the fact that spirituality is becoming more mainstream is a subtle difference but it's an important difference it's allowing us to make our decisions to the divine because spirituality metaphysics is does connect to the divine energy allowing each one of us to make that decision about the divine on our own Mm -hmm. so we're not having to do it through an organized religion and there's nothing wrong with organized religion but to be able to make that decision of how you want your relationship with the divine to be on your own is important and that took 30 years but that 30 years again we live many lifetimes so 30 years to us is right now there are days that I feel like a day is too long there are days that I need to end this day but in general (laughs) if we do life after life this is nothing Right, like, I mean, I listen to a lot of uh, you like uh, I know all the people you've mentioned. What about? Um, oh, I just went blank on his name. It'll come back to me. Kolar. No, not Kolar um, Bashar I, Who
0: Bashar uh,
1: No, I do know that name. No, it's okay. not the K am gonna and as I talk I'm gonna see if I can see a book name from it. He does a channel He's a channel. I listen to him on YouTube And okay. um, he used to do the group he channeled the group um, anyway he, he talks about the life changes and Tom I, I subtle. Di- say the name again
0: Tom Kenyon
1: no I know that name too but no. <laughs> you know, you're, you're in the right ballpark but you're not the right person uh, it'll come okay. to me in a little bit I'll forget his name but um, uh, he talks about the subtle differences that even what we're going through politically now with all the mm-hmm. politics going on, and it sounds so horrible, and we're all disgusted, and we're just you know it's like what's happening, everybody's yelling at everybody. This is an important part of our journey though mm-hmm. what we're going through now is a part part of our journey. There are no mistakes in that sense, so I do believe from the harmonic harmonic convergence to now, there has been a major shift, and actually. want to get real metaphysical you want to get real metaphysical i'll get real metaphysical go for it okay i'll go for the harmonic conversion that was the decision we made (laughs) to shift the energy so that we would go off the path and not not destroy ourselves again we've done this many times again i'm talking many lifetimes we've created this world many times and we've blown it up many times unfortunately if you know anything about lamaria atlantis we've done this many times Mm-hmm. We made the decision with the harmonic convergence that we were going to shift it and not blow up the world and we were going to continue on the path and keep creating this world more further down the line than blowing ourselves up. So we've already done that. We did not blow ourselves up, people. That's the good news. <laughs> so that whole ending that, oh, we're going to end ourselves, that's a bunch of uh, – this, again, is my own belief system, but that's kind of – we're done with that. We don't need to worry about that anymore. We're not going to go there. Um But the spirituality, the fact it's not in the occult section, the fact it's all over television, the fact that it's spreading like wildfire is a good sign that things are shifting. And they're shifting upward in vibrance, in vibration, excuse me, in vibration. So things are changing. It just takes time.
0: Do you feel that uh, there's another school of thought of, uh, and that was an excellent explanation between 87 and now, and there seems to be, uh, an acceleration after 2012. So, in one respect, as a school of thought, that we are a year in year seven, and that's why we are expanding so so quickly, um, faster than before. It's because since 2012, it's like put your seatbelt on.
1: Yeah, it has been put your seatbelt on, right? <laughs> and things aren't seem to be going faster. They really do seem to be going faster and decisions seem to be made quicker. Uh, It can also be a bit more frightening because things seem to be in our faces quicker too in the outer world, but I think it's a good thing that things are going faster. Um, Like I said, we've already made the decision. We're going to keep moving on this world and keep raising its vibration further and further up the plateau. Um, So, in that sense, 2012 yeah we made it through 2012 and 2012 was set way back when in a sense so yes it was important but at the same time it was important because it was set back and we already made the decision we were going to go past that point Mm -hmm. on a math consciousness level we all agreed yeah we're going to go past that point we don't need to blow ourselves up and start all over again we're going to go past that point so i think 2012 was important i think it is speeding up and i think from what I heard from 2012 to the next 20 years after 2012 were were crucial in our evolution and then we would be leaping in that evolution and it feels that way to me it does right. I hit something I'll get it and I'll leap further quicker I'm like whoa that that happened quickly when before in the 80s and the 90s and even the 2000s it kind of took some time right to make the shifts and get them locked into my heart and my head and get myself in the right direction and then make the next leap now when i hit it i'm able to make it and i shift to a new level quicker so i do think it's happening quicker
0: and that that takes me back to uh, the safety net so i mean you're you seem like the embodiment of i keep going i'm breaking out of my uh my comfort zone and what what were some uh, some signs that you saw or some signs that you can give out to the audience that will help them realize that, that maybe they are in the safety net, and if they realize it that this may be a time for them to uh, make that pivot
1: well i I would say this there are two things: one is a safety net and then one is your comfort zone those are t- sort of two separate things the comfort zone that if you're you're stuck in your comfort zone and you, yet you're you're feeling trapped not moving that's a different issue that's about movement. That's about making a decision that you've got to do something different. You're stuck in a mode. The safety nets come out of your beliefs that you are not lovable, not loving, and not loved. And these are the things that get triggered out in the outer world. That's why you become judgmental of other people. You could be doing fine. All of a sudden, you find yourself judging someone. Okay, why are you judging someone? What got triggered in you? That makes you want to judge someone because something got triggered in you that made you judgmental, not that that person deserves judgment, something happened in you do not feel good enough or valuable enough that you need to inflate or deflate the object of your uh judgment uh it keeps it separates us the continuing to lie that somehow some are more valuable than others, so safety nets are things that. We all do. We all have them. We all have judgment at different times. Some have more of it, some have less. We all, some of us have control at different times. Some people have more, some people have less. Some people need to be right more. I, I know somebody who always needed to be right. Well, they needed to prove their worth through needing to be right. That is a lack of self love. It's a mask that inferiority complex. And life is fluid. What was right one day may not be right the next day. Mm -hmm. And you'll respect others that have different viewpoints depending on the lenses that they're looking through when you respect the lenses you're looking through and I'm working on changing your lenses. So needing to be right is a very – that's a tough one because once you think you're right, you're going to scream at somebody, I'm right and you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many people you know that way, but I've known a few (laughs) people that way. That they need to be right and they don't stop until you say, oh, right, you're right, I'm wrong, drop it, whatever. Those people, they get their sense of value from needing to be right. What they don't know is that they're looking for a piece of their self-love outwardly through somebody else versus looking at it inwardly and realizing, I need to work on my sense of value and realize that I matter to the universe and I am valuable to the universe just as I am. Not for what I do, not for what I will do, but because I am me, simply me. They need to find it that way versus trying to get it from needing to be right same thing with control that's not being good enough and feeling powerless you need to get your piece of pie before there's none left that comes from that sense and that you know you're the only one who can do it you can't surrender to the universe because you're on your own and only you is watching your back you got to control everything well that means you don't have everything you need for your journey so therefore you got to control everything now we all have certain personality aspects but i'm talking when you go into that control and suddenly you're in a fight and you're trying to control at work controlling your relationship that's coming from a lack of self-love so when you safety nets are a way to say okay i know i've got safety nets maybe i need to please everybody my mother pleased everybody That was her safety net that'll keep her safe that'll make her feel loved nobody will be fighting and therefore she'll be safe and she'll feel loved so she pleased everybody unfortunately she pleased everybody and allowed people to walk all over her Mm -hmm. so her safety net did not keep her safe judgment does not keep you safe because you're busy judging somebody else versus looking at why are you judging everybody else to begin with what are you feeling about yourself Our safety nets give us that false sense of security versus if you use your safety nets to pay attention in life, hey, I'm getting needing to be right in this argument. I need to shut my mouth first in person so I don't keep this argument going. Then I need to go home, be by myself, and figure out why I needed to be right, what was lacking in me that needed to be right. And do your homework to do self-discovery. Safety nets are great self-discovery techniques. To figure out, why do I need to please people? Why do I need to be right? Why do I need to judge? Why do I need to control? Those are great ways to find those inner wounds. We all have inner wounds. I call them our inner orphans because we disown them. When, when right. we're, as we're growing up, we disown them and put them in shadow because we've got to move on with life. But they're still mm-hmm. running our lives, unfortunately, through control, mm-hmm. judgment, or needing to be right. So that's one segment. But the other thing you brought up was this, I'm stuck, I'm not moving forward. That's a different energy. That's where you are stuck and that's a sense of sometimes you've got to shake things up to get, get your, that energy moving again, to get things moving. I've done that where I, I'll be stuck and stuck and suddenly I'll say, okay, I'm going to move and I'll move. Suddenly I'll just move to get that energy moving. Other people do it different ways. But you, sometimes when you're stuck, you've got to do some things to get things shaking. And sometimes it's walking to the bookstore and saying, let the right book fall into my hands, and letting the right book fall into your hands, like Seth speaks, fell into my hands. And it, mm. it changed my life. It did. I love that book.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Do you, do you think uh, with these patterns that it's Freudian with the first seven years of your life and you just keep repeating those patterns?
1: yes i do i would say i would say first seven i would say seven to twelve between seven to twelve years old because things can happen and get a little more fermented fermented around 10 11 12. i think you're setting up your belief system for how the world works what your place is in the world and what you have to do to be safe and to feel loved so you're setting up all these things and they're coming out of different wounds that happen we all have wounds some are little that don't really affect your life that much and then most of us have one two or three that are rather large meaning they keep coming back and the same pattern keeps happening the same people keep showing up in different costumes for you to play with the same mm-hmm. uh, situations keep reappearing those are your core wounds that need to be healing because you've set it up from the time seven to twelve this is how my life's going to work this is how i'm going to be treated so i've got to do this and this and this and then you have your dark night of the soul hopefully you have it early versus later
0: depending <laughs> on your,
1: your journey and you go wait you know what i don't believe this stuff but something's not working something's not working for me and everything i set up thinking if i play by these rules then my life will be okay then i'll get what mm-hmm. i want and you suddenly realize it's not working that way that's that's a great dark night of the soul that's a great dark yeah. night of the soul because it makes you wake up and go okay i've got some beliefs that are not working for me anymore. And I think we all have beliefs that aren't working and we all have wounds that need healing. And they're Mm. all based on lack of self-love. Because how often Mm. as a kid were you told how to love yourself? Now you may be told be nice to yourself, Don't, don't be mean to yourself, but were you ever told how to love yourself? That's a good point. See, I wasn't. No. I was told, you know, don't talk bad about myself. Don't, you know, I, I didn't really talk bad about somebody else did in my family, but I didn't. But uh, I wasn't told how to love myself. I was mm-hmm. told how to be nice to people, be nice to people, be kind to people, do this for people, but I wasn't told how to be kind and nice and wonderful to myself. Right. And what that means? What does it mean to me? What is self love? The way I define self love is that to know in your heart of hearts. That your core being, not your personality, personality is formed from different wounds and different things that happen, but your core being, who you are, is lovable, loving, and loved. When you know you are lovable, loving, and loved, you have a root of self-love. Now, lovable simply means that you know you are worthy of love. You exist. Therefore, you are worthy of love in the universe's eyes. It doesn't matter if another human being ever gives it to you. Doesn't matter if you ever receive it from another you being. You know you are worthy of love in the universe's eyes. Period. End. Loving means that you know you are given a beneficial heart waiting to be uniquely expressed through you. Whether it's through business, relationships, creativity, whatever manner you express this loving heart, it is good enough. This is where your sense of being good enough often resides, is in this loving part of self-love. And then to know that you're loved is to understand that the universe, you matter to the universe and you have value to the universe. Again, not for what you will do, not for what you will can do, but because you are you. When you have those three components of self-love, you can handle any challenge. And you're going to have challenges in this life. I mean, life's not going to be challenging. challenging. Challenges, I can't even say the word, without challenges. Uh, But when you have those three rooted in your heart, you can handle any challenge that appears. And know that when you're feeling a lack of love, you know you can close your eyes and give yourself that love. When you feel like you're not being uh, good enough, somebody's not appreciating your work, you can go and appreciate your own work yourself whether it's through relationships or business. When you feel like you don't matter, you can go and realize that you do matter and you are valuable to the universe, whether you do a darn thing in the world or not. It's not about earning it or proving it. You simply are it. So that's what I mean about self-love. Those three things are vital. And I think most of us are walking around. Some may have a little bit of loving. Some people may have a little bit of feeling lovable. They may be missing in their sense of loving. But we're all missing something in that component of self-love. And I think that's why we see so many bullies in the world and so many victims being bullied in the world, the lack of Mm self-love. I kind of went on a a ramble there. I apologize. (laughs) I'm excited about this stuff. I like this self-love stuff now that I'm into it absolutely
0: well let me ask you about love as far as a degree is there a degree where you can love yourself so much that you're selfish they're like you're paying too much self of your self-love instead of worrying about me
1: that's a perfect question i love that question absolutely not those are two different energies. one is based on love and selfishness is based on a sense of lack i've got to get my share i need the attention i need the focus that's a sense of lack Self-love is a sense of love. And the interesting thing about self-love, which is selfishness, is a sense of lack. I guarantee you I know enough about it. I saw enough of it in my life to know exactly what selfishness is. Self-love is based on love. And the interesting thing about self-love is when you have self-love and you practice uh, compassion with yourself, you suddenly have more compassion for other people. When you uh, practice self-acceptance for your flaws and your mistakes, you suddenly have much more self-acceptance for others' flaws and mistakes. When you practice kindness for yourself, you have more kindness to others. It literally is a circle, a good circle, not that negative circle, a good circle that the more you have self-love for yourself, the more love you have for other people. And that was a surprise to me, frankly, because I started the self-love work for myself. So I could feel better, be better, get get those critical voices out of my head, those judgments out of my head, get my heart open. I really wanted to do that work. I did it for me. But the benefit was also I became, and I was a loving person. I mean, I think most of us are loving people. But my love for other people grew, and my love for people that I used to be pissed off at grew as well. So right. I mean, self-love is, is, is not – selfishness has to do with a sense of lack, and you've got to grab your share and hold on to it for dear life. Self-love right. is about love, and there's never enough love. We can always grow in our love because the more love I have for myself, the more love I have for other people. Again, didn't know that when I started the journey. Know it now, though. Mm-hmm. And so actually, it sounds a psychologist, like – Go ahead.
0: No, I want to hear about the psychologist, but it sounds like we're going back to the 60s and free
1: love. Well, in a way it is, although 60s was more about sexual free love. Uh, That was my childhood. That was the sexual free love, which was an important part of our journey, too, which was the freedom of women, frankly. The sexual love was the freedom of women, if you want to get real into this. That was the 60s. Um, But it is about love and it's what is love and versus looking for love always on the outside finding it within yourself suddenly means you can able to give it to other people and then when you get it from somebody else it's the cherry on top of the sunday it's not the sunday the sunday comes from within because you know you're 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 valued and you matter to the universe You're loved, and it, how you express your loving heart is good enough and that you are worthy of love that the cherry on top is just just the bonus when somebody loves you as well it's just wonderful so it is in a sense a uh, freedom of love but it's not just a sexual freedom of love it's a freedom of love of the heart right. and that we are able to Because my heart is much more open i don't have the the boundaries i used to have around my heart to protect my heart so that nobody could hurt me mm. and or nobody would be, if somebody got jealous and angry at me they would hurt me so i have boundaries around my heart my boundaries are pretty down doesn't mean i don't have boundaries that's part of self-love, having boundaries. You have boundaries around certain people or certain situations. But my, I don't have to have stuff around my heart. My heart can be wide open. It takes a lot of work, and it can be much more wide open. I'm not going to stop doing this work till my last breath. I'm, again, there's never enough love, frankly. Because as you expand your love, you begin to exchange your beliefs. Okay, I believe I I deserve to have my dreams come true. Okay, I can live with that belief. I like that belief. So you do that for a little while and you say, yeah, but you know what? I also believe the universe wants me to have my dreams. Oh, that's even a bigger dream. Okay, I believe the universe wants me to have my dreams. Okay, that's a bigger dream. So you keep expanding your beliefs around how big and juicy love can be. Because it can be big and juicy, as big and juicy as you can imagine it. So you keep expanding your beliefs, and it's done in layers again. If you believe that life, uh, for instance, my, my childhood with the jealousy, I believe my energy made people angry, that I, something was wrong with me. I was made wrong because I made people angry at me because of the one, the sibling who was very jealous, was always so angry at me. Um, so I decided that was my fault because I was little. That's what little kids do. They decide it's their fault. So I believe something was wrong with me. I wasn't, uh, you know, I knew I mattered to the universe, but I probably, you know, something was wrong with him. Something wasn't quite right with me. I made people angry. So I had beliefs around that. I had beliefs that I could have so much success, but only so much because if I had too much, then somebody's going to notice, they're going to get jealous, and they're going to hurt me. So I would get off-Broadway work, or I'd get a commercial, or I would do some soap work, but I only go so far that I hit a wall. I said, okay, why is that wall? Now, I didn't know all this stuff when I was doing it. I had just started reading Seth Speaks. When I looked back, I realized I hit that wall because I had a belief that if I got too successful, it's going to piss somebody off. Mm-hmm. And I'd been raised with somebody who was constantly angry and viciously angry at me that I didn't want somebody to be angry at me so I could be only so successful. So when I went back to New York the second time, had done some of the inner work, I made much more money. I became much more successful. I still had some things to clean up. I still had that one more dark night when my mother passed. But I had a bigger bigger belief system more open. So that's the thing. You can never have too much love. It can be bigger. It can be juicier. It can be taller. It can be wider. It can be deeper. It can be everything you want. And that will not stop to your last breath if you so choose to do it.
0: That was beautiful. That's actually a nice... Icing on the cake. I, I had more, but like I mentioned, that 60 minutes flew by.
1: <laughs> oh my God, you're right. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my Lord, it did fly by. Well, I hope, you know, if anybody wants to read more about it, I've got a website, yes, yes, com. They complain about my books. Uh, you can also just type in it's all about dot com. It'll take you to my website, it's mm-hmm. all about dot com. I sure enjoyed this conversation with you. I have to say, absolutely,
0: <laughs> I did too. And, and are there any plans for workshops in the future?
1: Well, I've been doing some here in Texas. Kind of getting my feet wet down here now that I'm down here. So I'm Uh starting to build it, and I'd like to get something going, so I'll keep you posted on that for sure. Because I I do like teaching. I do like helping people deal with their stuff so they can let go of those those inner wounds and grow in their self-love. It's juicy. It's fun.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a homie's perspective. Jeffrey, it was a pleasure. Let's definitely stay in touch.
1: I sure will, and thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye.